At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning in to our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to His followers in the book of John, we'll learn how to follow in the steps of Christ as He marks out the way of discipleship for us. Could you be ignoring God this morning? Could you be forgetting God today? In 2009, a book with a provocative title, at least to me anyway, came out, uh, written by Francis Chan. The book was called Forgotten God. In the introduction, Chan wrote about something he believes is missing in the church today. I would agree with him. He states this. He says, I believe that this missing something is actually a missing someone, namely the Holy Spirit. Without Him, people operate in their own strength and only accomplish human-sized results. The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation, and the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. Is the Spirit forgotten in our lives today? I believe so, and part of the reason I believe why the Holy Spirit is forgotten or ignored in the church today is because we haven't listened to what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. We aren't paying attention to how Jesus speaks of the Spirit and what He means and intends to communicate to us about the Spirit in our own lives. We're not paying attention to Jesus. One study in 2001, just this last year, a Barna Research Group study reported that nearly 60% of Christians agreed with this statement. 60%. This is a high number of Christians who agree with this statement, that the Holy Spirit is a symbol of God's power or presence, but is not a living entity. Capture that. 60%. So just to look at a normative size, a room like this, six out of 10 of you, if this research was connected with our congregation here, six out of 10 of you would say, no, the Holy Spirit, yes, a symbol of God's presence, a symbol of His power, maybe a force, but not a living person, an entity, a reality. So it's worth asking the question, what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? What do you believe He has been sent to do? Now, this is important because Jesus' authoritative word is clear about the Holy Spirit. Jesus knows the Spirit well, and He knows whom He has sent for us and why He was sent. Many of us maybe perhaps today are afraid of the Holy Spirit. We, we want to ignore the work of the Spirit, perhaps diminish the Holy Spirit, or, or perhaps fall into the other extreme and that we wrongly overemphasize the work of the Spirit in our lives. We need to be helped to understand who He is and what He has been sent to do in our lives. Jesus here in John 16 teaches the disciples about the Holy Spirit because He is equipping them as He goes to the cross. This whole farewell discourse from chapter 13 to 16 is Jesus supporting and supplying and speaking into the lives of His 11 disciples as, and then from them as they speak to us through the words of Scripture about what it means to follow and walk with Him. And so in this follower's trail guide, as we've been calling this series, Jesus has spoken about the Spirit already, but here He speaks clearly and directly. This passage is some of the most foundational and clear teaching in the Bible on the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We will know God. We will delight in God. We will enjoy the Spirit of God. As we listen to what Jesus says about the Spirit, 
and as we believe and worship Him as God. The aim is that we as the church would believe and confess what the historic creeds say. The Nicene Creed declares, and we, we profess, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. Our aim is that we would worship God, not forget Him, not ignore Him, but worship God, the Holy Spirit, well and correctly. And so Jesus teaches His disciples and us today why the Spirit was sent, to help us on the way. And in this passage this morning, we'll see three reasons why Jesus sends the Spirit for us. What is the purpose of the Spirit in our lives and in the world? Why was He sent for us? So first of all, let's start with this and begin to understand that the Spirit was sent to help believers. Fundamental to the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that He was sent by the Father and the Son to help, equip, support, advocate for, bless, comfort, supply Christians, followers of Jesus. Now, let me just back up one step and give us a context here of what has been happening in case you haven't been with us in the last few weeks. Jesus has been laying out some pretty heavy teaching, and he said to his 11 disciples some pretty, some pretty disconcerting things to them. In chapter 13, just in, in a few short verses, he tells them, first of all, one of you 12, my closest friends, my disciples who've been with me for these three and a half years, one of you guys is going to betray me. That's stark and staggering enough as it is. And then he tells them, oh, yes, and by the way, I am departing and I'm going to go away from you. I'm going to leave you and depart from you. And so now you're like, okay, one's going to betray. Jesus is going to leave us. And then, oh, he drops a mic on a third big statement and says, and one of you guys, again, one of the closest of my followers, one of the people that I've invested in the most deeply, one of you is going to outright deny me three times. You can, just, you can feel a sense of like, this is defeat all across the way. He's leaving, one's going to betray, one's going to deny. Oh, it's just all bad. And then Jesus, from that launch pad, begins to lean into the farewell discourse and says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Trust me. He's laying foundation for them to trust and follow and walk with him. But then he gives them some more staggering news. We, we come to the passage right before this at the end of chapter 15, in this chapter 16, and Jesus then again tells them some pretty difficult things. He says, the world will hate you. Oh, wow, well, that's comforting knowing what we're headed into. Like, it's going to be a rough, rocky road as we get going forward. The world will hate you. Oh, and then also maybe one step deeper, you'll be kicked out of the synagogues, of the communities of worship and faith that you're already involved in and placed in. They will reject you, kick you out, and perhaps some of you will be murdered or killed on account of me. That's your future. That's what you're signing up for, guys. That's the, that's, that's the trajectory. Now you can completely understand when Jesus tells them all those things, why their heart would be heavy, why they would have this unsure future, why they would be trembling and anxious and all of that. Jesus is right. He says in chapter 16, verse 6, our passage here this morning, he says, because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. He's reading the room well. He knows his disciples. Yeah. But here's the turn. Jesus is telling them these things and saying them to us as well to prepare and equip and encourage them for the life that he has for them ahead. As he goes to the cross and then is raised from the dead and ascends to the Father, he has told them, I will not leave you alone. I will not abandon you. You're not going to be his orphans. Jesus says that 
to say that he is fully vested in their spiritual success, he is fully vested in their integrity, fully vested in their endurance to see them through to the end. Which raises the question, well, if Jesus is so fully vested and so supportive and so looking to see them through to the end in their faith, how's he going to do that if he leaves? How's he going to support them in that? Where's that going to help going to come from? And this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will send a helper to you. This is what he says in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus' strategy for encouraging and equipping disciples of his as he has departed and ascended to the Father is to send the Holy Spirit to be with us, to help us, to encourage us. Jesus has said this is now the third time Jesus brings up the Holy Spirit and calls the Holy Spirit the helper, or the Greek term is the paraclete, the advocate, the counselor, the comforter, the one who stands and comes forward for us. So Jesus is saying it is through the sending of the Holy Spirit that he will come to see our steadfastness, our joy, our fulfillment of bearing fruit that he has called us to. This is why the Holy Spirit was sent. For our advantage, Jesus says, the Spirit will come to you. Now notice here why Jesus says it's to our advantage, to the disciples' advantage. It's profitable or good. So that as he sends the Spirit, he might be with his disciples. You might ask, well, how, how is this an advantage? How is the Holy Spirit being with us and not Jesus the Son right here in our midst an advantage for us? Well, first of all, understand that Jesus is speaking to his disciples at a specific place in time at a specific point in history, in a specific room, a geographical location. Jesus, as a fully human man, is bound by space and time. And as a fully human man, he's unable to dwell uniquely and individually with every believer all over the world at the same time. But by his ascension to the Father, he sends the Spirit, he pours out the Spirit on every believer, and his presence then is with and in each of us who trust in Christ. So put this in your hearts and minds. As Jesus has ascended to the Father, He has sent the Spirit to live within us and to dwell within us. The Spirit is the continuation of the ministry of Jesus in our hearts and in our lives. He hasn't left us, but He has come and poured Himself out for us all the more. It might be good for us to stop at this point and ask, well, who is this Holy Spirit or what is the Holy Spirit? Well, let me just lay out some teaching from the Scripture about who the Holy Spirit is and even from what Jesus says here. First of all, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force or a power. The Spirit is referred to by Jesus here in this text and throughout the Scriptures with the masculine personal pronoun, he or him, personal, relatable. So, so when you talk about the Holy Spirit, when you think about the Holy Spirit, don't, don't perceive him as a force or a power, but perceive him as a person with whom you can commune with, as someone you can speak to, someone you can draw near to and relate with. Don't call the Holy Spirit an it. Refer to him as he. Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks of the Holy Spirit as a person who does things, a personal agent. So when he talks about the Holy Spirit, he speaks about the Holy Spirit teaching as a person would teach. The Holy Spirit brings to remembrance or reminds as a person would remind. The Holy Spirit bears witness to or testifies to as a person would. 
Not only is the Holy Spirit a person, but the Holy Spirit is also the third person, the third member of the Godhead. He is the third person of the Trinity. That is to say that he has all the essence and attributes of God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. He takes the names of God. He receives worship as God. He does the distinct works of God, but yet is distinct from the Father and from the Son. It's a big concept to talk about the Trinity on a family Sunday, but this is the reality of who we worship as God. So Jesus can say that the Spirit is in you and with you. He says this in John 14, 17. And at the same time, be speaking the truth when he says, He, Jesus, is in us and makes our home with us, and the Father will make his home with us. The Spirit is one with the Father and the Son, and yet distinct in person and proceeding from the Father and the Son. Another creed, this one, the Athanasian Creed, which is a classic confession of the Trinity, speaks this way. It says, we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons, meaning blending them, nor dividing the substance, dividing them. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. So in sending the Spirit, Jesus is pouring out on all believers the Spirit of God, whom he calls the Helper. Now, I mentioned this word helper before in our teaching in our Sunday morning series here. That word is translated many different ways in different translations uh, with words like helper or advocate or counselor or comforter. The Greek uh, writers use this term to speak about one who comes forward on the behalf of another. So in sending the Spirit, Jesus is sending the third person of the Trinity, one who is fully God, to come forward on our behalf to help us, to represent us, to empower us and to strengthen us and to get us home. Someone pointed out to me recently that we have a similar kind of role in our society uh, today that, that certain vocations play. That role is one of a child advocate in the case of adoptions or even of foster care. The child advocate serves as a representative towards the courts and advocates for what, advocates for what would be in the best interest of a child. Their job is to coordinate resources for the child, to be present with them in the courts, and to ensure that they have the best circumstances to thrive and to flourish in their life. That's a similar way and picture of what the Holy Spirit's ministry is in our lives. He comes behind us and by us and in us and through us to support us. The Spirit is Jesus' representative to us. He takes and He applies the ministry of Christ to every follower of Jesus Christ. His ministry is a continuation, a movement, and a representation of the ministry of Jesus in and to us. So when Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, he's speaking the truth. He sent his spirit for us to advocate for us, to be present with us. You, follower of Jesus, are not alone. The spirit dwells in you and with you to encourage you, to support you, to sustain you, to get you home. Jesus' spirit is given for you, and that's a profit or advantage to us. He has been given to every believer. So this is the first reason why the spirit was sent, to help followers of Jesus, believers. But there's a second reason why the spirit was sent, and this is outward-facing towards the world itself. The spirit was sent, secondly, to convict the world. So we ask, what will the spirit do when he comes? Acts chapter 2 speaks of the day of Pentecost, when the 12 disciples were in the upper room, they were praying, 
And there the Spirit of God was poured out upon them. And they began to testify and bear witness to the raised Jesus. Peter goes out and he preaches a message that Jesus is Lord and the Spirit works. And over 3,000 come to Christ that day. And the rest of the book of Acts is the continuation of the Spirit's ministry through the apostles into the church today. What is the Spirit doing now? Well, with regard to the world, the Spirit is at work convicting the world. Remember when John speaks about the world, he is speaking about the realm or the sphere of those opposed to Christ and his kingdom. So go with me to verse 8 here. Jesus says, And when he comes, the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And the idea of convicting here is the idea to expose or to bring to light and to bring to light wrongdoing. Exposes the wrong in the world. This word is used 18 times in the New Testament in a legal sense to allege and to prove the charges of guilt. So Jesus lays out that the Spirit brings towards the world three charges. A charge concerning sin, a charge concerning righteousness, and a charge concerning judgment. First of all, concerning sin in verse 9, Jesus says, He convicts the world that they're wrong, that they're sinners, because they do not believe in me. The world is guilty of sin because they refuse to believe Christ and who who He is and what He's done. This is ultimately what sin is. Sin is unbelief. Sin is failing to believe the Word of God. The world traffics in unbelief. It resides in unbelief. That was the first word of our enemy, Satan, when he came to our first parents and said, did God really say? Just casting doubt on the good, true, faithful Word of God. So the Spirit states and proves that the world is guilty of sin in failing to believe Jesus' words. The world has taken Jesus' word and cast it aside. That's not true. It's not real. And because of the world's unbelief, guilty of sin. But not only that, the Spirit convicts concerning righteousness. Jesus says in verse 10, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The world is guilty, convicted regarding what what true righteousness is. Jesus was convicted and killed as a criminal on the cross. But we know Jesus committed no sin. He was innocent and holy and pure in every way. Jesus is the definition of righteousness. And yet he was treated as the worst of scoundrels and villains. And yet in his resurrection, he was vindicated, raised up by the Father. The Father judged Jesus as righteous. And raised him to life again, guilty of no sin. And Jesus' ascension to the Father demonstrates that he is righteous. So when the Spirit comes and convicts the world of righteousness, the Spirit is saying to the world, you're guilty because you've got it wrong. You've called what is good evil and what is evil good. You've exchanged righteousness for unrighteousness, the truth for a lie, and you're wrong. You're guilty concerning righteousness. And finally, the Spirit convicts the world concerning judgment. Jesus says, because the ruler of this world is judged. The Spirit convicts the world of guilt with regard to their judgment of things. The world does not weigh out or discern or perceive things or judge things rightly. The world affirms the things of Satan. The world loves evil. The world approves sin. It applauds immorality. It celebrates perversity. But the reality is the ruler of this world has already been judged. The Father has said, condemned. Father is judged 
the ruler of this world. And so the Spirit says to the world, you're guilty and wrong concerning your judgment because you have it all upside down and backward and wrong. We should not love or approve the things of this world. Now let me ask you this. If you feel conviction in your own heart this morning of, of guilt in any of these matters, if you, if you sense in your heart that you're guilty and you're wrong with regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, if you sense in your heart that you're wrong and how you've seen Jesus and how you view what is good and evil and what you affirm in the things of this world, I have good news for you. That conviction of your heart is good news. The Spirit is at work convicting you so that you will repent and turn to Jesus. He's making you feel uncomfortable, exposing your wrong thinking, bringing to bear your guilt and shame, not so that you will stay in it and harden your heart, but so that you will come to Jesus, who is the one who can answer your guilt and shame. The Spirit has been sent to show you your guilt so that you will confess a need for the Savior, because Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus gave his life for those who realize they're wrong and rebellious and wicked. He came to save the spiritually sick and needy. So if you recognize that's you this morning, good news for you. You can get in on Jesus' forgiveness and his healing and his grace. I would ask you, is the Spirit speaking to you saying right now, you're wrong, you're guilty, you need a Savior? If that's the case, agree with God. Confess your sin. Repent. Come to Jesus. Believe in him. Believe the good news that he is the Savior to rescue you and put all your faith in him. Accept him this morning. The Spirit was sent to help believers. The Spirit was sent to convict the world. And the third reason the Spirit has been sent is to guide the church. Jesus says this in verses 12 through 15. Jesus focuses what the spending of the Spirit means for the church, for his followers here in these verses. Jesus says in verse 12, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. As he just recognizes the weighty hearts of his disciples, of their, their sorrow that has grown, Jesus says there's much more to tell you. There's many more ways to equip you, things to, to reveal and unpack for you about following me and walking the Christian life. But you guys are, you're tapped out right now is what he's saying. But the spirit, when he comes, he'll lead you into all the truth. He will guide you into the truth. They will need help. And Jesus says the Spirit will minister. The Spirit ministers, and He does this, by the, the word there is to guide you into all truth. He will lead you. He says, Jesus says, for the Spirit will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. The Spirit of God guides believers into truth. That is to say that the Spirit, His work is to illuminate and direct the church to God's people into what is right and true and good. Now, the Spirit just doesn't do this as a rogue free agent. He just doesn't decide, hey, I'm going to set the agenda for whatever's going on. I'm going to do this on my own. He's not an independent voice or an independent will of God. The Spirit is unified with the Father and the Son. And he leads in alignment with the will of God. There is one will of God, and the Spirit leads in that. And in his leading, he, he takes us to truth. He takes us through his word to what is true and right and good. That guiding and leading is summed up in the purpose of God, which is displayed there in verse 14. He, Jesus says, he, the Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
Understand this, the Spirit's ministry ultimately is to glorify or to exalt Jesus Christ. All that the Spirit does is to uplift and to elevate before our eyes Jesus Christ the Lord. The Spirit does not make Himself the center of the universe. He points us to the center of the universe, Jesus Christ. He will glorify me. The Spirit guides and leads the people of God through the Word of Christ with the ultimate aim and goal that we would exalt and glorify Christ above all things. So just as the Father glorifies and gives everything to His Son, so the Spirit takes what is Christ to glorify Christ as well. I like to say it like this. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to put the spotlight on Jesus. The ministry of the Holy Spirit spotlights the Son. Let me illustrate it this way. If you've ever been around professional music and entertainment, you might recognize that there is more to a band than merely the instrumentalist and the singers. If you go to a big arena show or even a smaller tour in a, in a concert hall, you recognize, you may see them here and there, this group of people that, that run the sound boards, the, the stage lighting, the pyrotechnics, depending on what kind of show you're at, the technologies, all of that there, they are serving to work and working to spotlight and put the focus on the band. So everyone there follows along with the band, celebrates the band, cheers the band on, and goes along with the band. They're working, as it were, behind the scenes to put the spotlight on the center thing. In a similar way, the ministry of the work of the Holy Spirit is to put the spotlight on Jesus. He guides the true church into glorifying Jesus through his word, his wisdom, his gifts. His works may be subdued. They might seem like they're behind the scenes, but he is delighted and pleased to work to glorify Christ in all things. And if we accept this and believe this about the Holy Spirit, it will help us when we hear other voices about the work and the ministry of the Spirit. There's two dangers I think that we as the church can run into today with regard to who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. One danger is to ignore the Spirit altogether. That is to diminish or deny His work in our lives. To ignore the Spirit looks like diminishing His role in salvation, namely by claiming that we come to an awareness of our sin and our need before the Spirit does any work in our hearts to make us aware of and to enliven us to respond to Christ. We say, well, I, I picked God first. I figured it out first. I, I saved myself first. I responded first. Well, the Holy Spirit works ahead of time to prepare us and to draw us to Christ. To ignore the Spirit is to ignore the means by which the Spirit works. Another way that we ignore the Spirit, the Spirit works primarily through the Word of God, through the Word of Christ. And so we ignore the Spirit when we don't give time and energy and humility to study and listen to and receive and obey the Word of God. Because the Spirit is speaking through His Word. Another way to ignore the Spirit is to willfully disobey and to disregard the teaching of the Word, the Spirit's Word and work in us. When we harden our hearts and we close our Bibles and say, it's not relevant for me, it doesn't apply today, not the thing I want, we're diminishing the Spirit and His work in our lives, we're ignoring the Spirit. Another danger is on the other side of the spectrum, though, it's to... Spotlight the Spirit. That is to say we overemphasize the ministry of the Spirit. To spotlight the Spirit is to make Him, and the way it's practiced more usually in the church today is to spotlight His gifts and to make them the central and biggest point of the church and of our lives. 
Friends, there are denominations and churches that teach if you've been saved, then you will do miraculous things like speak in tongues or heal or other miraculous events that were gifts from the Spirit. And if you don't do those things, we don't know. They overemphasize certain spiritual gifts and they attempt to produce signs of the Spirit that are unbiblical and employed in unbiblical ways. Things like being slain in the Spirit, laughing in the Spirit, speaking in tongues in an unbiblical way, special healings, and other supernatural ministries that they say comes from the Spirit. One popular song in Christian radio today sings, Holy Spirit, come rest on us, you're all we want. I don't mean to nitpick, and I'm not going to nitpick the motives of the songwriters there, but what we should sing about should be theologically true. The Spirit's ministry is to focus us and spotlight Jesus. We need the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If Jesus isn't the center and the focus, then the Spirit cannot be claimed to be working in that ministry. So what does that mean? Let me just say it in a positive word. Wherever Jesus Christ is given center stage, wherever Jesus Christ is truly exalted and glorified and made much of, that is where the Spirit is at work. That is a place where there's Spirit-led, Spirit-driven, Spirit-empowered ministry. Because the Spirit has been given, Jesus says, He will glorify me and take what is mine and declare to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said, He will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit has been given to lead us and to point us and to spotlight Jesus. So let's not forget the Holy Spirit, but let's worship Him as God. Give thanks for Him. Let's trust His Word. Let's follow Him as He works to glorify Jesus, because that's why He was sent, for our good, for our advantage, for our growth, for our joy, so that we will exalt Christ in all things. Let's worship the Spirit, for He is good. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.